Well, thank you. And then <clears throat> last week, if you were here, we uh, we kicked off um, a non-series series, which is like, you know, we just finished the book of John, and it took us like, you know, nine months, and before we launch into another study in the book of, and well, in the Old Testament in January, we thought, let's just take a break, and I didn't want to say go topical, because we want to keep the integrity of our church, which is walking through scripture, but at the same time, not start some long-winded series um, for December, right? So what we did was we landed on the Psalms, or I did. I don't know where Shale is preaching next two weeks. You're in Psalms. No, I don't know. So anyway, we, we just thought we'd land on some. And they're sporadic. So if, if, if you wonder, man, why did you do two Psalms last week, 42, 43, and then you jump to 116? The book of Psalms is, is very interesting. It's like a hymnal. Did you ever grow up in a church that had a hymnal? And you open it up, and it would just be like, you know, the songs, all different types of songs were everywhere. A psalm would be a song oftentimes. It was written poetically referred to as poetry, was also written as worship. So there are still songs made and written today about a psalm. They'll take a psalm and then write a song about it or just sing the psalm. And so this would have been a, a song. This would have been something that would have been sung. What's interesting is because it's really discombobulated. Again, I mentioned last week when 42 and 43, if you're a philosopher or a poet, or somebody who reads a lot, and you see the prose of literature in which you're reading, that you, in, is you want an ending that's going to be, going to fix things, you're not necessarily going to get that in all the Psalms. So you're going to read, and some of them are going to jump out, and some of them are going to, it's, it's, it's just going to state a fact. Like last week, we talked on spiritual depression. We delved into emotional depression and what that looks like. To be a church, we can be very open in dialogue and discussion about those things. How the psalm ended in 42 and 43 was this. You are at your place and God is in his. And so there's, this means is you're on a journey. You're on a journey. Where there's, I, we never want to get you to a place where you feel like you got fixed on a Sunday morning. This is a journey, a marathon journey in the learning and growing with Christ. So I got asked to be in this committee um and it was at cambridge they're, they're the capital committee they're building other buildings you guys are buying like property and stuff like that and so when they asked me i was like well wait a minute you know i'm i'm a preacher preacher of a small church and we're building our own building and we we're not even a, we don't even we're not even running a building campaign so if you want me to be a part of a building campaign i can't he goes no not all i just want you to come once a month for lunch and we just meet and we talk he said if it takes us 10 12 15 years we're okay like well i can do that and i thought what a a healthy philosophy that if you walked in here and to think you are in a journey that is going to take you the rest of your life and so as you get these bits and pieces sometimes when you walk away from a message folks a message is unique when you're preaching i'll be very honest with you there are messages i would walk out on but i'm the one speaking and i can't Meaning, give me, uh, cut me some slack. There's often times I'm thinking, man, where am I going here? Help me, Lord. There are times that I'm sitting here thinking, this should be just really impacting because it's impacting me. And meanwhile, it doesn't. And there's times I walk out, feel like I laid the golden egg up here, and people say, that was the most impactful message and clear message of Scripture I've ever had. That is what the Holy Spirit does. By not only from my mouth to your ears, but the power in what's going on in your life. 
And so the book of Psalms is like that. Sometimes you'll read a Psalm, it jumps out, it hits you. There's other times you look at it, hmm, I don't know. This was a Psalm that jumped out, hit me a long time ago. Now I can't do it now, but actually this is one of those Psalms I actually had committed to memory. I had it committed to memory because it meant so much to me. And as I get into a different season of life, I think maybe, you know, um, if you put me in a chokehold, I might get spit it out, but I don't think so, you know. I think that I, I walk through this psalm now differently than I did before. But I'm going to see if I can't pull out a few things that really kind of hit me from before. But this psalm is discombobulated, meaning, again, throughout the prose, throughout the rhythm in which this is being written, and understand this is a heartfelt message. This is, we don't know who, we don't know who wrote this. One third of the, of the people, I believe, say it's anonymous. We, we just, it's just supposed to be that way. One group says it's David that wrote it, and another group says um, it's written by Jonah. So there's, there, there's just a lot of different um, aspects of who wrote it, but it doesn't matter who wrote it. Um, but it does start out with a real cannon shot. It starts out differently than other psalms. So typically psalms are, you start with the greatness of God, and you go to the intimacy. When you sing, Wes, if you ever notice how he leads worship, would be this. Start out with the highness and greatness of God, and slowly draw you to the intimacy. That way we're not singing songs about God as my buddy all day long, and we walk out without a reverence of who God is. In this particular case, he jumps out immediately and says in verse 1, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Now, we'll stop right here, and I'm just going to do something. I'm going to pray for me, like sometimes I do when I feel like I just need to be realigned. But also, I want to just give a few seconds for you to do something. I'm not going to lead you in any words, but if you're honest with yourself, I'm honest with myself sometimes, or in, in when I talk about my lack of telling I love the, I love the Lord and like, I don't tell him enough I love him. I talk to spouses a lot who say, we just haven't said I love you in a long time. And it's painful. There's people who have family that pass on before they can say I love you. Those words are huge. And so with God, here's what's amazing. He does not require you to love him. He doesn't need it. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't need any of our presence here. But when we, just for a moment, what it does to be able to say, Lord, I love you. And so... Um, maybe you've not said good morning to him yet. You can do that and do whatever you want to do. But anyway, I'll just pray for me. I'll just go silent for a few seconds and you just catch up. And then we're going to keep walking through this psalm. Let's do that. Pray, Lord, we pray right now collectively. And I just pray um, uh, for this word to be very clear. Lord Jesus, please don't let me be a distraction in any way that I um, might be, that your word is all this listened to. Lord, I also thank you for the fact that we can take this moment anytime just to acknowledge you. And so whether it's love, you love them, you're thankful for them, good morning, whatever, go ahead and do that right now. Father, thank you for meeting us here. In Jesus' name, amen. So you look at... um. You look at this verse, and it simply jumps out, I love the Lord. Why? When you ask somebody, why do you love somebody? It's always, a, some, it's always a great explanation as to why you love someone. If you really love someone, you're not going to have any trouble explaining them, describing them. Well, you know, this person, I love them because they do this, they do that. And I think about 
in my life, if I'm never talking to someone and I want to get conversation going and I feel like it's going nowhere, I'll ask them two things, what they're passionate about and what they love or who they love. And then I just kick back, eat popcorn and listen for the rest of the time because they're just going to spill and talk about it because it's easy to talk about things and people you love. So when the psalmist says, I love the Lord, why? Because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. By the way, 30 times personal pronouns are used. This is unusual. Uh, oftentimes, they're leading a congregation. They're saying, our God, our Lord. So this is mine. This is me. In recovery and um, addiction centers, emotional healing, and folks, let's bring it right to a church. I want you to, when you walk in this door... I want you to know something. You have every right to walk in here and be selfish. Walk in here and selfishly worship God. We will call on you at times to be selfless. We'll call on you to go out and feed the hungry and to, to help the help the widow, to help those who are hurting. And you all know what this last fall was like. Your ovens were going crazy. You were constantly cooking. You were constantly doing something. We're constantly reaching out. But when it comes to growing in the Lord, be selfish. Meaning, take it in. It's okay to say me, my, I with the Lord. And you, oh, by the way, you're going to see an interesting conversation here. I should, I feel like I have to explain all these things, but I really don't need to. But there is a conversation between the body and the soul again. So, 42 and 43 last week, you saw a conversation with, um, I'm so depressed, I'm in this anguish, and my soul, I know you're okay, I know you believe in God, I know God's going to rescue the soul, oh, my mind's hurting, oh, I'm depressed, oh, my heart is crushed. It has that conversation. Same blurbs of conversation coming out again here where the body, the mind, is talking to the soul. Remember we said last week, you do not have a soul. You have a body. Your soul is dominant than the body. So your soul is in is the one who's constantly in, in a connectivity with the, with the power of the Holy Spirit. So here it is. I love the Lord. Why? Because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he's inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I'm going to call him as long as he lives. As long as I live. I'm sorry. You think about this. Inclining an ear, there is hearing, then there's listening. Have you ever had a conversation where you're talking to somebody and you know they're not listening? You can tell you get the thousand mile stare and you look at him and you're like, I'm here. Like right here, right? Just, and they're like, yeah, I, I heard you. No, you are not listening to me. I work for people who were disasters at listening. I could talk to them and I knew they would be focusing on one word that I said or one sentence or one phrase and I would have to retool my conversation. I would have to rework it. Why? Because they weren't listening. There's another level of listening and that is inclining an ear. Inclining an ear is a physical action of leaning in, cupping your ear, and listening intently. This is what God's doing. He says, because he's inclined his ear to what? To me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. And then it goes into verse 3. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. And I suffered distress and anguish. Now, when it says the snares of death encompass me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me, this psalmist is saying he went through something. He went through something that was very heavy, very traumatic. Death felt like it surrounded him. And when it says the pangs, a pangs, a pinging, a panging is this. It's just this constant rattling on the soul of pressure. It's a constant, um, again, I forget the name of that thing, the music thing, what do you call metrodome gnome metronome the metronome those things are fantastic i want to go to sleep with one you know they, whatever they do and 
I love old clocks. I put the clocks up at the house and people don't like them because they ring and it's therapeutic to me. Well, this is not the solid sound of rhythmic beauty. This is a this is a pinging of and a pang of of hurt, of confusion, of worry. In Vietnam, I was reading a book about a man who had been in prison for five or six years, and they, uh, the North Vietnamese would bring in a, ch- a child. The child would come up, and it was told to rattle on, a, on the, the box where the sol- American soldier was. They would just rattle like this. They had a certain rhythm. That's what they would do. They wouldn't tell them how to do it. They would just do it on their own. And then another kid would come in and do it for six hours. Well, he had a different rattle, and he would rattle. What they discovered was, rhythmically, the the we as individuals get used to a certain pattern of what we hear. And so the mind subconsciously just starts getting stressed out. Anxiety starts building in when you start to hear a different rhythm hitting you. And all of a sudden, that's how the, the torture begins to, to happen and occur. And this was intentional. The, the pangs of Sheol, Sheol is death and hell wrapped in one. They're, they just laid hold on me. And this is what happens. This is why people freak out. This is why people have emotional outbreaks. It's this. A pinging of uncertainty, depression, anxiety, uncertainty, depression, anxiety. And that's going when all of a sudden here comes another rhythm completely on a different beat. Health report, uncertainty, family health report, uncertainty, family. And then you get another one that comes in at a different angle talking about financial problems. And so these things start to blend and they lay hold on you. And so it's no wonder when you walk in here and if we're not careful, we can be another pang. Just pinging on you and saying religious, order, duty, chore. And this is why people burn out. Because what they thought would be the rescuer to their soul, what they thought would be something that would help them, has been something that just added more stress. So the psalmist is saying, the snares of death encompass me, the pangs of Sheol, they laid hold of me, and have suffered distress and anguish. Then, verse 4, I call on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Powerful thought here. Number one, you, you see the I, so more personal pronoun here. I called on the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. In quotations, the person is talking to the soul. The person is, is recalling the time he talked to the soul and said, you've got to do something. You have to connect. You have to somehow uh, find the Lord in a way that I can't. That is normal. Don't feel like you're having some schizophrenic conversation with yourself when you're sitting there thinking about how do I discuss things with the Lord. The Lord has made very clear in Scripture that he communicates through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, to your soul. Meaning this, when there are times you do not know how to pray, the Holy Spirit is praying on your behalf. The Holy Spirit is communing and is never leaving the soul. Now, so let's, take, let's say you take the Holy Spirit. And we've often said this. I remember being a college minister for so long. And if I wasn't careful, I got around a lot of college conferences where I'd hear, uh, I'd hear a minister talk to someone and say, you know, when you go to that bar, the Holy Spirit's not going to go in there with you. And it's just like, you know, like, like somehow the Holy Spirit is like, whoa, I, you know, I conquered death, but I never, you know, somehow I couldn't conquer 7th Avenue in Ybor City. I said. And so the reality is that person walking into anywhere as a believer the Holy Spirit does not depart from the believer if the Holy Spirit can't depart from the believer in the very worst in, in, in depths of sin guess what it's not going to leave you at any time 
But where it can hurt you is when the mind becomes conditioned to walking without the presence and the knowledge of the Holy Spirit and the soul are called to be joined together. And so this person is having a conversation with a soul. Man, oh Lord, I pray deliver my soul. He's recalling this, what it was, what it was like. Look at verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous our God is merciful. For the Bible scholars, whenever I can jump on a word, you see the word our, probably the only time you're going to um, really see it delivered here is uh, this indicates it was being delivered to an audience given over as, as a worship song. So um, it says, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. What, if you were to ask uh, C.S. Lewis, at any given time in his ministry, what would be the one word to differentiate Christianity from any other religion? He would say one word would be grace. Grace. If we talk to anyone who's not a believer, and we talk to wait, tell me about the tenets of Christianity. What can you explain? You would say, well, there's this thing called grace. What does grace look like? Well, here it is. But if we're not careful, we ignore the power and the meaning of grace. We forget it. We forget what it looks like. I have chickens, and it, you, you go to a chicken coop, and you'll have one hen, there's a certain term for it, where they just lay on the, on the eggs, and they don't want to give up the eggs. The other chickens just plop out the eggs, mill about, don't care about anything. But you'll get this one hen, you'll reach in there, and she'll peck at you, and you'll get the eggs, and you'll get the eggs, and sometimes you'll just leave an egg in there. So long as she feels the presence of the egg, she feels like she is doing her duty. The reality is she doesn't miss the other three or four eggs that you just took from her. And so you take the eggs out. She doesn't miss it. And as a matter of fact, they sell an onyx egg made in Mexico. It looks just like an egg. If you go to a feed store, ask them for, like, a, it's a hard egg. And it's, it's obviously a fake egg. And that's oftentimes you'll put that in there. You do it for two reasons. to get the, the hen to lay in a certain box. Or also to keep a laying hen satisfied. And they just lay in that egg. Folks, there was a duck out here that laid on bad eggs for three months it was finally somebody came here and was like would you throw the eggs away the thing's gonna die you know it's like you know none of us wanted to separate the eggs from the duck but we had to to save its life the, the reality is we rest on grace but don't believe its power we describe it grace is an amazing thing grace has done something incredible in my life but yet how do we live it we, we don't see it. We don't necessarily execute it all the time. We're like the chicken. You can remove portions of grace away from our life, and we just keep thinking, well, we're living under grace. We're living under grace. Folks, you and I are under grace. So for all the times you condemned yourself, all the times you put yourself in the pang of Sheol, and you're allowing yourself to succumb to, this is who I am. This is how I'm being beaten up. This is what's happening. You are removing the grace God has designed for you. So when it says here... Um, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. And then he says this, the Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Now, this speaks to me in a, in a great way. It talks about the simple, meaning simple-minded, simple folks. He preserves them. So I love all kind of church services. Like I, I do. For uh, So when I go from um, the farm in Land Lakes to my home at night, I'll put on YouTube I'll click it on and listen to a sermon. I usually go to like 1.5 speed because 
preachers talk slow. And I'll listen to all kind of different sermons. I'll listen to Tim Keller, right, of Redeemer, right, in Manhattan. Wow, I, I can't wait to hear his deep messages. And then I'll go to some urban church and listen to some guy, him and Hall, and get the crowd worked up, get the crowd excited. And I do this because I like to get a different angle. You, want to, you, you can read about the power of the resurrection and a great mind. What is the Greek meaning of this, the Hebrew derivative of this? But then you get talking to somebody who believes in the power of the resurrection, it becomes totally different. But there's times when I listen to back and forth, you listen to one spectrum to the other spectrum, and oftentimes it's incredible. And folks, I say this with all due respect. I don't care if it's urban church. I don't care if it's Appalachian. I don't care if it's, if it's I'm not talking black. I'm not talking white. I'm not talking poor. I'm not talking rich. But I'm talking about a lower denominator of intellect of preaching. I can tell you, I've never listened to one of those messages where somehow you just didn't feel like you were listening to the power of God. So it says the Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Oftentimes, if we're not careful, people ask Wait, what kind of, what's the mission of the church? You get asked that all the time. What's the mission of the church? It is to be gospel-centered. It is not to be a word-for-word study or we're a seminary only. It's not to be a service-minded church or we're just simply a mission agency like Metropolitan Ministries. It is not just something that goes out and, and loves on people. Otherwise, we're, I don't know. So we are multifaceted, always asking itself, what does the gospel call us to do? And I can tell you this, the Lord preserves the simple. When you're brought low, you don't want intellect. When you're hurting, you don't want to know the derivative of the word hospital or, or, or the meaning of the word hospital. You just want to go to the hospital. When someone walks in and starts giving you a, a, a report on a health condition, it's like just make it simple for me. Give me in layman's terms. Some of you in here are doctors. You know what I mean. When, when, when you, you are well-versed in knowing, when you walk in to tell someone something, you have a lot in here, but it can't come out. You have to... You have to bring it out in a manner that's understandable. You know, bedside manner, whatever you want to call it. But you have to give it to a person they can understand. Oftentimes, what happens is we make it too complicated when we talk to someone. We start quoting scripture and theology when someone's hurting. Sometimes the best thing to do is sit with that person. Remember when Job was all jacked up and messed up? Poor guys lost everything. I mean, how it was almost comedy. I don't want to say comedy, but when you're like, how much more? One person kept coming in. Oh, yeah, this is gone. Oh, yeah, this is gone. Oh, yeah. I mean, how much? The guys just started ridiculing him. Where's your God? What's going on? At the beginning, they actually did something very healthy. They sat with him. All they did was sit. There was a Jewish tradition just to come alongside with someone, not say a thing, and sit. I remember when I lost my mom, I got all kind of great texts, nice cards, wonderful things people said. But one text came in, I'll never forget. person texted me and said, can I come sit with you? And I won't forget that. A simple, simple text. Sometimes the simplest of words. Sometimes the simplest of meanings. And so the Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low... He saved me. Verse 7. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Now, when you think about this, again, the person saying, my soul, would you just, you got to return to your rest because God's dealt bountifully with me. How has God dealt bountifully with you? If you were to take a piece of paper, get a piece of paper and start writing out things that he has dealt bountifully with you. Start with people you love. Go to things 
that you love and you have in your life. Then start going to yourself. How has God dealt bountifully with you? How has he rescued you? And so you can see this psalm, he's going back and forth. Man, I love you, Lord. If you're gracious and merciful, you've heard my my cries. You've inclined your ear to me. And and then you start to see him have this conversation with his soul. It's about to get even more interesting here in just a second. Verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk in the Lord in the land of the living. Go back to verse 8 if you could, Ariel. You see, for you have delivered my soul from death. My eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. He's talking about the two deliverances of my soul, the salvation God has given me. He's delivered me. But he's also said this, I'm able to walk. I'm able to stop crying for once. I can walk, in verse 9, into the land of the living. What does that mean? The land of the living is this. When you're isolated, depressed, alone, you feel like you have nobody, and you walk into a loud huge room full of people and you look over and there's a family all gathered together, all laughing together, all of them celebrating together and you feel like you have no one. And you're a dead man walking and you look and you wonder, will I ever have what they have? This is the person saying, you've restored me. I have walked into the land of the living. That is why you always see me get passionate about a few things. A few things outside of the uh, outside the basics of, of our Christian walk and faith. But when it comes to this, hospitality, loving, kindness, all of us. Folks, we don't have a welcome team. You're it. If it's your like, second or third time coming here and you're like, uh, just rise yourself up, help us, be a committee of one and be a welcome team. I, I, I used to be very corporate in the world of like, religious order and structure and like well you know here's the welcome team this is what you got to do capture their information do this and folks just be who you are but you've got to be who you are or we won't it won't work here's what happens somebody walks in they don't know anybody all of a sudden they get to know somebody man i feel like i know somebody i love it and then what they do they forget who they were when they didn't know anybody i remember and not to pick on you keep picking on you today but there it is (laughs) you um you, you came up the house, it was July 4th, we had July 4th gathering, a lot of people there, and I remember you walked in, you said, I, um, I sat in my car for like 15 minutes and tried talking myself out of walking in, I didn't know anyone. What would have happened had you not walked in? You may have given us a chance. What would have happened if you walked in and no one spoke to you? We would have lost and so I keep thinking in my mind when we're in the land of the living for people. We have widows in here, those who are single, not by choice. We have those in here who come with no other believing family. This is their land of the living. And you know the most important and impactful time in this church is not what I say. What I say, you'll forget by the time you get to the parking lot. It's who you shook a hand with and felt like they were welcome. And something's going to happen. I'm not, I'm not telling you to come in here and forget who you, forget your needs and meet the needs of others. I'm not, do, I'm not saying that. Please hear me. But I will say this. You never know who the Lord has put in your presence. That by you extending a hand is a part of your deliverance. It's a part of everything changing. So this is uh, in verse 10. I believed when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Now, 
This is, uh, uh, go back to verse 10 if you could. It says, I believed when I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. What does that mean? The person was greatly afflicted and they believed everything about it. And so again, they're quoting themselves, quoting a, a, a discussion they had with themselves. And then it jumps to verse 11. And it says this, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Let me give you a current description of what this means. In my emotion and in my emotional distress and in my anger, I made a fool of myself. But I, I said what I need to say. When it said, all mankind are liars, a better description of that is found in some translations. It says, in longer translations, it would say this, all those who I loved on, who I faithfully cared for, abandoned me. Folks, that is a worst kind of hurt you can have. You expect an arrow from an enemy. You do. You expect, oh, people are going to say things, they're going to say things. But when those that you believed in, when those that you invested in, when those that you loved on, prayed for, hoped for, when all of a sudden all things are going well, they look over and they say, nah, that's whatever. It, ha- it happens professionally. Camber, you do hair. You sit there doing hair, and all of a sudden you're doing a lady's hair for 10 years. You took her from an ugly duckling to a beautiful princess, and then she goes down the street for $2 cheaper, and you feel abandoned. And all of a sudden you, see, you feel the same way. Ben, you get out there, and, and you, 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 you give advice to somebody. You help guide them. You build them up. Then all of a sudden, what? They don't talk to you anymore. They don't need you anymore. And they look past, and just and as a matter of fact, they make a mocking comment like, oh, all cops are so-and-so, and stereotypes hit. Guess what happens? Those things hurt. Guys, I have been a minister long enough to have heard things people say, done things, and it's just like, oh, man, why? And it hurts, but then something happens. You tap into the soul. You tap until you say, God, my body, my mind is hurting, but my soul, I need rest. So remember uh, last week, I keep saying remember last week, I apologize if you weren't here last week. Last week we said there were these wind words. We took it out of Job. It's when Job would say something. You can say things you don't mean. You say things and have you all done that? You've said things you just don't really mean the full, you mean the emotion, but you certainly don't mean it 10 minutes later. You always want to lose an argument, lose your, you lose your temper, always. Anytime I've ever lost my temper, I lost it. I lost it. And so what we're saying is this, those win words where you just don't, cra- if someone's losing it, if someone's in emotional distress, just let them talk. Let them get it out. A person, when they're hurting, they're just saying, don't be picky about my words. And so in their alarm, they said, all mankind are liars. Watch this verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Here is a reflective question. Let's say you go to the doctor, you walk in, and you're being told that you are going to lose your hearing or you're going to lose your sight. Morgan comes home and she says, John, the doctor has said, if I don't have this operation, I'm going to lose my sight. I, I know the cut and integrity of John and what he would do. He would sell his home, sell everything to make sure she didn't lose it. Think about your hearing and what you do to protect that. What if somebody said you couldn't walk unless we had an operation? What would you do? What would you do if you were faced with the fact that you could not breathe on your own and you're going to have to do something in order to rescue that? What would you pay? But yet, we, me, 
all of us, we see, we hear, we walk, we breathe. And what do we render? What do we pay to God for all of his benefits? You know what we think we do? We think it's because we walk in here and pay our alms and our tithes by being present to God. That's what we think does it. So we got a chance to start up this church. Here's a few things we laid out very simply. We as pastors, none of us know who gives in here. We're protected. I mean, you could, you could throw an IOU in there. We're not going to know it. You know, we don't know. We don't know who gives. We don't know who much gives. We're protected from that. Why? Is it to protect the mind of, of someone in authority from knowing and treating someone differently? I suppose. But here it is. It's none of our business anyway. None. None. Here's something else that's not our business. I had to learn this for a long time. I know people that I have helped rescue out of their own pit of vomit at three in the morning in the middle of Soho, put them in my car, taking them home, making sure they're okay, bailing them out of jail, doing whatever. And then, you know, we don't put out the word here and how to, what we're doing at Creekside. We're, we're still building ourselves. We're still building who we are. But part of me sits there and thinks, fleshly, man, what have I done for you? Why don't you at least come in occasionally and just encourage me with But that's not what a man of I'm not saying I'm a man of God, but a man who speaks on behalf of God at a ten thirty hour here, I would say this it's not my role. It's not my business. When I say to you that I render to the Lord what I render to the Lord, you render to the Lord what you render to the Lord. You give to him. So if I expected someone to come in here under legalism of you should be in church. You love the Lord. You ought to be here. You ought to be in this place. You know what I'm doing? I mean, it's equivalent to me telling someone to pay a temple tax. You might as well send out temple guard thugs, beat people up, drag them in, and sit them in a pew. And that's sin. And that's wrong. But what happens under legalism is you start pushing for people to fill seats, not caring who is in the seat. How many did you have? How many are you running? Ugh, gross. I don't want to think that way. I just don't even like hearing those, those terms. I mean, all I hear is impersonal preaching. No, I want to know who you are. Where you are. God will take care of what else happens. He does. If this was us, if we're not building out at Newburger Road, if nothing happens and a sinkhole happens, and we're stuck here at Tunstall, and we're here. Guess what? I am in the land of the living. I'm with you guys. And you know what? We're also with God because we come in here rendering to God. We're paying back, going, God, I'm here. But here's I'm not saying trickery, I'm not saying strategy. Here it is. Here's the beauty of it. When you walk in here to give your thanks to God, you find He doesn't need it. You find that you are the recipient to more grace. So when you walk in to say, God, thank you, all of a sudden it's communion. And so sometimes the way to get out of something is to thank him for something out of the way. So to go, good, thank you for what you've done. And all of a sudden there's a realization. I mean, we're fleshly. 
I mean, hold the door. I can't wait to hold the door for a lady. I will wait 20 seconds. I'm the guy looking at my peripheral to make sure. Make sure, you know, they know. But let me tell you, you buzz through that door, yakking on your phone, and don't say thank you, my flesh is going to come out and tell you, you're welcome. You know what I mean? It just happens. I'm like, where? You know, like, what's up? But I, as much as I don't appreciate ingratitude, I display it in the same way that I come to church. I walk in. And I came here in a rainstorm. And I got wet. I wrote a check. I stood up, sang a song I didn't like, listened to a preacher I could have fell asleep. And I, man, God, I did my duty. I checked it. But if we're not careful, we'll have missed it. All I've done is paid a temple tax. And so, when, you, when it says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Well, here it is, verse 13. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. This, there are, um, it's a metaphoric analogy or illustration, these cups. There are three fundamental cups, and there are like 26 or 27 other descriptions of cups in the Bible. This is a cup of affliction, the cup of pain, the cup of blessing, the cup. This is the cup of salvation. This is a big cup, one of the big fundamental ones. It says here, this is, I will lift up the cup of salvation. In a minute, we're going to have... And we'll, we'll end today with the Lord's table. And what's going to happen is we do this every six weeks or so. You know, we are able to take the cup. As a believer, here's two things. Number one, don't take the cup. It's not your cup. It's unusual. I mean, if you really want Kool-Aid that bad, take it. You can, we'll give you more. But it's just, there's nothing in it for you. you it, it's symbolic. And, but it's symbolism of something that's real. Symbolism comes from substance. It comes from something. And so, you can... Take that cup. But as a believer, here's what happens. We taste, we taste the cup together. You're taking this not just in memory of Christ, but in celebration you are in the land of the living with brothers and sisters who love the Lord, who coming together in here to worship with you. We're not persecuted, which means, guess what? We are not going to bond like a persecuted church. Go to Cuba, where, they, where the Cuban government is trying to freak out and say, well, you know, you can't build these churches. They were building everywhere. So you're going to meet in a home. They had no idea what they would create in a home church culture where every other block has a church. You can't walk anywhere in Cuba and not hear worship music going on, preaching going on. It totally backfired on the Cuban government. You know, it's just, it's, it's just the, the cup of persecution does something. The, the Iranian mission, oh, we had an update from uh, the Iranian church, what's going on uh, at my house last week. About 35 of you guys came and listened, and it was an amazing presentation. It was over, well over a million Christians in Iran, a nation of 80 million people, Persian people. The church is the fastest growing church of, of all Christian churches. But here's, a, here's something interesting. You are not taken seriously as a Christian leader if you've not been imprisoned and beaten. But here's something they share with each other as believers. This is their common thread, a common statement they give each other. Here it is. Can you imagine if we walked in here and I told you this? Remember, it's only painful for a little while. And they're referring to the beatings that they're inevitably going to get. So they refer to each other. And they look at each other like, yeah, they've been followed or they're listening in. And just, just don't want you to remember this. It's only going to hurt for a little bit. You want to tell me that they haven't bonded? They aren't connected? 
I talk to soldiers who come home from overseas, and there, there is a connectivity in a community that you can't recreate. If you think you're going to get that in a Sunday school or even a small group Bible study where you're sharing your innermost feelings on a Tuesday night, you're not. I mean, yeah, there's bond you can make with us as believers and, and, and brothers and sisters in here, but there's nothing like depending on the other person. It's not like it, it, it goes beyond when you're cared for. My biggest goal, if I were gasping in my last breath, would be this. You would get your theology. You would get that covered. There's so many biblical geniuses in here, but I would say this. Invite someone to lunch. Pull them in your group. Just go up to a couple that doesn't look like you. Go up to a person that doesn't look like you, a single or twos or threes, and say, are you free to go to lunch with us? And if you think, oh, they got it all together and there's no way they have anything for you, they would reject you, just try it anyway. I remember I went to a church in Georgia. I go up there. There's 14,000 people in this church. Big church, great preacher, incredible stuff. And I remember walking up thinking, would someone, someone, someone be kind and shake my hand? I got the cheesy greeter. How you doing, sir? Just, you know, and, uh, you know, welcome. Go. It, it, it was, that was it. You know, hey, turn around and share the love of Christ with you. You know, that's okay. I mean, that's uh, for all you introverts who just want to, you know, freak out during that moment. I'm sorry, but we do it. But, you know, when you look back and think, man, I cannot tell you a time when someone just walked up and said, hey, I saw you from over here. We're going to Five Guys. Or we're going to, you know, wherever. Don't ever invite anybody. Perkins or anything like that. I mean, we're better than that, right? But I mean, we're, we're going to wherever. Would, would you come with us? And, and like, you, you, they may not come, but let me tell you, they're going to walk go home going, wow. No. I remember this, this person isn't, isn't here. And, and when you came to the house, I tell you, there's other visitors coming in. I'm looking around going, do you know this person? Do you know this person? Do you know this person? And I walked up to this one person who was like, yeah, it's really not my thing. You know, I'm kind of, you know. What, you're kind of what? I'm just kind of hanging out. I'm like, hanging out. Like, you're in the hospitality industry. Rise up. I said, are you so weak that you're paid off at a job that you won't render to God what God has done for you? Because your eyes are open, your ears hear, your feet walk, your eyes have cleaned up, you no longer cry. Render to God and stand up, please, and do something. I have to walk that line all the time to make sure I'm not wearing someone out, but also to make sure their their needs are being met. I, as a minister, if I were to be very vulnerable for 10 seconds, would have said this. I, in my mind, am leading um, an orchestra of banjos and violins and cellos and electric guitars and recognizing it has to sometimes come together and make a beautiful sound but never to lose the individual identity of who we are. And so I balance something. I never want to walk past who you are, that God can do something, what God's doing in your life. But otherwise, I don't want, we got to be more than a support group. We have to be a church. We have to also have to exist for those people who are not in here, in the land of the living yet. And so, it says this, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of of all his people. And then here comes a crazy thought 
out of nowhere, but it makes sense. Verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. This is spoken of at a lot of funerals. And the reason I can I love this verse is because I actually know the meaning of the word precious. Again, one of the top 5% of things you walk out in seminary with, you forget a lot of their things, but you remember this one. Precious actually means costly. It means costly. Costly in the sight of the Lord or the death of his saints. When you lose someone who you love dearly, who's an older person, a saint, a somebody who's poured into you over time, you know that you can't replace that person. You cannot replace them. Um, Janet Gamillion, who's normally here, her husband, um, Carl Gamillion, a man retired fire chief here in the city of Tampa, walked away from doing his service years ago. And I remember walking away thinking, I'm going to miss the man who once a month we would get, gather together, eat Thai food, and see who could get, we would escalate the heat every time getting us Thai food to see who could outdo each other. And he would always just end with, Jake, I pray for you about this. I pray for you about this. I pray for you about this. And it's a journal he would show me. And I'm going to show you how I'm praying for you. And folks, you want to talk about costly? When you lose that, that isn't just easily replaced. There are pages that are blank now that were formally written on. Prayers that were formally said that are no longer there. It's painful. It's costly. And so what this person is saying is, I remember when my enemies surrounded me, when the people I believed in abandoned me, when they left me, guess what happened? There were those who stood by me. But they died. And it was costly and it was precious in the sight of the Lord or the death of his saints. If you as a younger person are not connected to an older person in a mentoring place, in a place where you can come along and talk and listen to, you're missing something big. You're missing. Get with Colin and Pam Thomas and go to their house and watch hospitality and theology collide. Watch the loving kitchen open up and a woman that says, here, this is what I want to do. And a man who says, I can't wait to tell you what I learned about Christ. Don't miss out on intergenerational beauty in here. And to give a home of someone who's getting older, the energy and the laughter of youth again. Don't deny yourself. Most everything I've ever learned that I've ever impressed anybody came from an older person who told me. Oh, Jay, God, you get so smart about that. Because I hung out with somebody who was a lot smarter than I was. And now I look smarter. For some, but precious in the sight of the Lord of the death of the saints. Verse 16, O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In verse 19, last verse, in the courts of Jerusalem, the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. So he's going to pay his vows. He's going to recognize everything in the courts. What are the courts? It's the armature works of Tampa. It is the hangout spot. It's where you go to be seen and to see other people. It's saying this, I'm going to go into very courts of Jerusalem and I'm going to praise you. I'm going to tell people that, you know what? Costly in the sight of the Lord were the death of his saints. I'm going to say this, that gracious are you for you've inclined your ear to me. When I was surrounded and couldn't, couldn't see a way out, when death laid a hold of me, you rescued me. Now, how do you go about remembering that grace every day? How do you do it? You do it by living in it and giving it to other people and remembering that God has it in store for you. So when I preach, I recognize 
not every sermon is going to be is going to be there's nobody's ever going to say this is the best the best sermon what do i mean by that if i get to your home i doubt you're going to walk out plop down the meal and say this is the best meal i've ever cooked you have everybody cooks different meals different times so this was missing something this was missing something it's longevity it's understanding we're in this journey together we're in this journey to walk in here and remind ourselves when we walk in and we sit in this sanctuary, we're coming here to render thanks to a God that doesn't need thanks. But then all he wants to do is just interact with us. And so this cup of salvation we're going to take in a second is, it's symbolic. It's not Kool-Aid turning to blood. It's only, it's only Kool-Aid. And it's a gluten-free cracker. And there's nothing special about the cracker. It's symbolism. It's symbolism of something that is real. And so when you taste it, of the bread, to say this is who we are in Christ. This is what Christ did for me on a cross. Coming to identify with me as a person. In man, in, in, cloaked in skin. This is the, the blood of, of the cross that was poured out in that cup. You're also taking it with each other in the land of the living. That when you take it, you're not alone. That to your right and to your left are people that are your brothers and sisters. You go to another country, you walk in, and you don't know a soul, you don't know a language, and you get into a room. Like Again, I'll use Cuba, for example. You go in there, you sit in that room, and you look around, and don't you know... You feel like you're as connected to a believer there that you can't speak a language than you are next to the person in a Subaru next to you on Dale Mabry. No offense, Zen Myers, if you have a Subaru. You look still like a Subaru family. But anyway, but, but you, you sit there and think, what is the connectivity? The connectivity is this. They have drank from the cup. They know the cup of salvation. You, as a believer, drink from this cup of salvation freely and joyfully this is not a somber memorial service and guys you can go ahead and pass those out now you're going to get the get the cracker and the cup and just hold it and we'll, we'll take it a second so I'm going to go ahead and make sure you get both elements don't forget me this time last time everybody was had it but me but uh but you know we've all we've often made a a um we've often made a time where um where we made this the celebration of the lord's supper something that's very somber I'm going to give you a, t- a chance in a second to be able to uh, take this. Folks, if there is somebody in your life that you've not been clean with, um, just simply pass on. It's okay. Nobody's going to judge you in here, by the way. There's times in my life I have passed right over this tray, right over it. Not a believer, don't take it. If you're, if you're at a place where you're still seeking, not there, don't take it. If you're at a place where man, you are absolutely... Um, in agony with someone and haven't brought closure. I'm not saying don't take it, but just confess to the Lord, man, I need to, I need to bring about closure with that person. I've got to start seeking peace with that person. This is a time for you to reflect. This is a time for you to, to digest what, and, and to render what God has, has given you. Take a second. Let these elements come around. Did you guys get the bread down here yet? Yeah, you did? Okay, good. You can just go quiet and reflect, and then I'll, I'll come back and talk to us in a second.
let's just do this in the quietness of your heart. Think about those things that he's dealt bountifully with you. Now go ahead and and render that thanks that you think you need to do. Lord, thank you for making it so easy for us that we drink a cup that's symbolism of blood that has been shed we take a symbol of a body that was beaten and all you say to do is to join in the victory Lord because of you death has lost its sting because of you we are in the land of the living because of you our souls rejoice even when we don't feel like it Lord we owe you much and we thank you Go ahead and take that bread and the juice now. I close with this to say that I've learned in my own life that whenever you look at someone else's sin and mess up and problem, you look back at yourself. I have uh, I have guys that always live at my houses, you know, rent out rooms. And there's times when you just, you want to kick the door in and say, why weren't you in church? Why weren't you here? What would be my reasoning? To pay a temple tax? To fill a seat? Or is it me genuinely saying, why can't you render to the Lord thankfulness? Why can't you do that? And then what happens if I really start thinking about it from my own eye gate? I start asking myself, have I really rendered to the Lord my thankfulness? And I haven't. But I filled a seat. That's not what he saved us for. He didn't save us to fill a chair. He didn't save us to check a box. He did something glorious for us. He saved us not only from death, but from the fact that sin owned us. But how about this? Save us from ourselves. And so if you're still reeling from last week, in Psalm 42 and 43, and a realization of depression, understand something. Praying to him, rendering thanks to him, is saving you from yourself. Letting the soul rise up and want to yearn for the fellowship of Christ. And so for two groups in here, those who do not know Christ, I pray one day you know the taste of the cup and the land of the living and the land and the presence of the Lord. I pray you know that. Secondly, if you know the Lord, I would just pray that you remember to have ongoing healthy conversations with yourself and an open dialogue and rendering to the Lord to say, Lord, thank you for what you've given me. Would you stand together as we worship?
I think we're going to worship one more song. And uh, I'm going to pray one more time. We're grateful again for um, you being here. We'll, um, and Shale's got the next, he has the next two weeks coming up. And um, looking forward to what's going to be going on there. Again, if you want to do that membership thing, just uh, I'll be doing that class next week at 9 a.m. service. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us a chance to worship you and to pay our renderings to you. Lord, we could come to you and say thank you for so many things. But Lord, we walk in here recognizing that the body's often weak, but the soul is one that it seems so far away. And so, um, Lord, would you give us the, uh, 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 an opportunity very soon, it's not today, it's this week, where we can just have open conversation with ourselves and be open to hearing from you. That God, when we start to think of all the things we want, what we need, we just simply say thank you. Thanks for, thanks for doing everything you've done that we just blindly look past. Lord, you've been gracious to us. You've brought us into the land of the living. You've rescued us from the pangs of, of, of hurt. And you've brought us into a place where we will praise you. Not out of duty, but out of free will. Not out of a chore, but, Father, out of a desire. Help us in that journey. In Jesus' name we pray.